The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the premiere episode of Back When with my colleague Danny here. And we're going to be talking about SummerSlam 88. But before we do that, uh, Danny, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I think our uh, listeners would love to know more about the uh, the Scottish Gigolo, if you will. It doesn't get much uh, wrestling related than that. Come on, get cut a promo on everybody. Well, I'm um, quite new to the podcast as well. I've been doing it about just over a year and I've really been enjoying it. I do Nitro Nights with Cy Powell. I do One Man's Meet with um, Chris Bellis and I do um, a few other things. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And now I'm doing this and l- looking forward to it. Well, hey, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm going to be like the ultimate warrior. You're not going to understand what I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. Hopefully... You know, we're just going to have fun. And my name is Tyler Peters, by the way. I shouldn't introduce myself, but out of respect, man, Danny is the man. He's the myth, the legend for a reason. And I wanted to give him his props. But Danny, you know, what'd you think of this pay-per-view, man? 1988, it was the inaugural SummerSlam. What were your impressions? I think it's important to hear your feedback, my friend. This was the very first time watching it. And um, I, overall, it was really good. It was, really, But we're going to get into it. But yeah, this was... Um, well before my time. <laughs> well, I was only two years old, so you know I, I don't even remember it either. So it was definitely very interesting, a unique time in the professional wrestling slash sports entertainment business. But our event came to us live from Madison Square Garden. We know how much that venue meant to the McMahon family. Uh, the tagline was "Where the Mega Powers Meet the Mega Bucks," and we were in the year 1988. Now you know a little bit of the history here. If you go back and do a little of the research at the time, Jim Crockett Promotions, who was kind of the forebear for WCW World Championship Wrestling, was in competition with the WWF at the time. Now we know it as WWE. Well, this was one of the things about it. Vince McMahon was trying to sabotage JCP, which was a brilliant move. That shows you he was a businessman, a wrestling promoter, even though it was unfair to JCP. So that was one of the interesting aspects I wanted to point out. So, I mean, what do you know about, like, some of the territories, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions? Have you read or learned or maybe watched anything from them? Um, not very, very little, but um, I've, he- I've heard their stories about Vince McMahon going in, uh, buying all the um, top stars and bringing them into the WWF and things to kill the promotions. I agree, that is actually a very good um, business move because if he didn't do it, someone else would have. Yeah, I, I respect it. I, I'm with you. I mean, people can vil- villainize, excuse me, Vince McMahon, but he is a visionary for a reason. I was trying to think of the word, but that that's properly uh, appropriate when regarding uh, Mr. McMahon. And I'll tell you what, we've got a lot of big storylines coming in to this show, but there's also one more thing. There was a rumor that 
McMahon wanted to bring in the Nature Boy Ric Flair to face the champion Macho Man Randy Savage, but it never came to pass. But that was only speculation. That's why we got the uh, the Mega Power storyline with Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man Randy Savage, taking on, of course, Andre the Giant, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, with Virgil and Bobby the Brain Heenan. So let's get into this. I mean, first of all, the commentary team was unique. Danny, what do you think about Gorilla Monsoon and superstar Billy Graham uh, providing the soundtrack here? I was quite shocked because I thought um, Gorilla Monsoon would have been joined by Jesse Ventura, but this was a nice change as well. Um, Billy Graham wasn't that bad. What did you think about his commentary skills? I did not think the superstar Billy Graham was uh, that bad at all. It, it kind of made it unique, and that's what you needed sometimes because Ventura was going to be uh, the special guest referee later on, so that explained his absence. I agree everybody's used to either the Monsoon Ventura or Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan combination. Both are great. Uh, however, I thought you know Superstar added kind of that what you would hear from his promos, so I thought it was okay. Now, this first match has a lot of bad blood. I guess if, if you know anything about the fabulous Rougeos and the British Bulldogs, there's no love loss. It's very well documented. However, what did you think of this match? Uh, I want to hear your thoughts first. It was very long, wasn't it? <laughs> it was uh, yes. 20 minutes. Um, time limit draw. I, my, me personally, I wouldn't have opened with a time limit draw. It was kind of like... This kind of went on for me. I mean, it was a good match in ring. A lot of rest holds. Um, um, I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was bad. It wasn't bad for what it was. And at least you knew who the baby faces and the heels were. You did. And I, I'll tell you what, the time limit draw, I think, was a way to save both teams. I can't remember if the Bulldogs were on their way out. I, I saw that episode of Dark Side of the Ring. If you remember, you know, it was Jacques and the Dynamite Kid had their issues, you know, with the I think he may have used quarters to get back at Dynamite and punch him, sneak up on him in the locker room. But you're always going to get both sides that are going to differ on that. But I thought this was actually a very good match. These guys had some tremendous chemistry. I liked the way that the Rougeos kind of were more of the specialist. Dynamite Kid had more of your innovative type offense with Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, using more of that power, that strength that he possessed. And I like the underhanded tactics. It, it seemed like the Rougeos were more of the heels in this regard. And uh, I liked how they were, you know, back then the referees were important that when their backs were turned, that's when uh, all the uh, mischievous things were happening. So it was little nuances like that. So what do you think about that? And we'll move on, but it's important to get your perspective on like the uh, the villainous tactics that the Rougeos were doing to uh, get one up on the British Bulldogs here. Yeah, that, I think that was very clear um, that they had that. And then it was like, that's something you don't see today because baby faces are working as heels and heels are doing baby face things. Um, this was very clear. So I thought that was a big improvement as well. I do too. I, I thought this, this match was very well done, very nicely laid out, so to speak. And I'll tell you what, we get video footage of Brutus the Barber Beefcake getting attacked by the outlaw Ron Bast to set up and actually change rather part in the uh, intercontinental title match that we would see later with the honky tonk man. I mean, they were having to censor this out because the barber beefcake was bleeding. What'd you think of like the outlaw Ron Bass attacking him and, and the big censorship thing? It was a little bit annoying because you could, you couldn't make out all the, the baby faces that were trying to help him. So I was getting annoyed. I'm like, let there be blood like the movie. Come on. What, what's your thoughts, Danny? That was really hacking me off. 
it was way ahead of its time um, to have blood uh, at this stage. I think, especially for the WWF, maybe not um, JCP or WSW. Um, at this point, there wasn't much blood in the WWF, was there? I don't believe so. And I, th- I think they had to be careful to your point. The NWA, you, you were used to it, like Flair, Dusty Rhodes, or Abdullah the Butcher, for crying out loud, would bleed all the time. So it was definitely more par for the course for like JCP or Mid South or a lot of these numerous territories. But the WWF at the time, I think they, they were trying to be kid friendly. You know, this was after the rock and wrestling connection with Hogan, Cindy Lopper, and, and Popper and all those individuals. So they were only doing it a little bit. So this was definitely, uh, kind of going over the top a little bit, but it's a way to kind of ride off the Barber Beefcake, Brutus, that is the Barber Beefcake. Let me re-say it and introduce this surprise entrance later on against Honky Tonk Man for that IC title. So we're going to move on to the next match. Uh, Rick Rude with Bobby the Brain Heenan, one of the greatest managers ever versus JYD, the Junkyard Dog. What did you think of this match? I loved seeing Rick Rude because I'm a big Rick Rude fan. Um this was when he was in his prime, wasn't it? It was. It was vintage Rick Rude. Uh, what did you think about those promos? You know, he's he's calling all the the people flat, uh, fat slobs. You know, excuse me there. And then all the ladies were loving it. He he not only had six packs, he had a twelve pack ab. Man, I mean, Rude was shredded. I was jealous of him. Can I just have a half an ab? What do you think, Danny? Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Um, he, uh, what I like about Rick Rude is going back to the point I made earlier. Is back when um, heels were heels. Like he, there was nothing like a cool heel about him. He genuinely got hatred off of fans, and I love that. So these those little promos that he cut before um, the matches were so good. Yeah, he got the heat. What you're talking about? I mean, he made the fans not like him because. We were all jealous. We wanted that that body. We wanted to be Rick Rude and, and had Bobby the he, you know, Heenan, the weasel, the genius. He he was great. And of course, JYD was exciting, definitely over with the people. He was speaking of territory guys, one of those from Mid-South under Cowboy Bill Watts. To me, Rude carried the match. It was more about the fiery comebacks like you would see in a Hulk Hogan match. Uh, the way it seemed that, that this match progressed. I mean, what'd you think of the match and and kind of what led to uh, Jake the Snake Roberts interfering. I mean, there was also that big storyline that factored in. Yeah, it was um, a match mainly controlled by the heel, I found. But like you said, the fiery comebacks happened. And when Jake Roberts came out, came running out, he got a massive ovation. But to me, uh, I just kind of thought, like, should Jake Roberts have just run out after the match? I mean, I know he did it because Rick Rude pulled his um, tights down and showed his wife, but he kind of could have, if a babyface thing would have been to actually wait till after the match. I mean, what do you think, Tyler? I see your point, but I actually like it because it, it's spontaneous. You don't expect it. I, I'm always about surprises. So that that's why we'll, we'll vary. That's going to make the show... Uh, great because you, you've got me and Danny uh, sharing our viewpoints. But I thought, you know, with Rude having Cheryl Roberts on, on his tights was uh, very appropriate with the uh, storyline, made it personal. Jake the Snake wanted to get his hands on Rick Rude, the ravishing one. And then you had Bobby Heenan helping JYD. Uh, this was definitely later on in, the, uh, in a great career for JYD, but this was not, uh, to me, prime JYD like you saw in the territories drawing against like Ernie Ladd and all these people you learn about from various podcasts and and reading numerous articles. So I, I thought for what it was, it was pretty good. It was, uh, you know, not a bad match. And then, hey, 
This is one of my favorite uh, segments. Honky Tonk Man delivers an interview segment with Mean Gene Okerlund and the real mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, because I'm from the southern part of the United States. So, you know, what can I say about an Elvis gimmick? I mean, but Honky Tonk Man, Wayne Ferris was great. Everybody I know is cartoonish. What's your thoughts, Danny, on the Honky Tonk Man, the, the greatest intercontinental champion ever? Thank you very much. There you go. <laughs> well, I, he is definitely a clear, like we was going back to earlier, saying clear heels. Um, I really like that he's kept the same gimmick for, well, Christ, it must be over 30 years now. He's, uh, he's been uh, the honky-tonk man, and he's still going strong today. Oh, he is. I mean, just uh, pay attention to shoot interviews. Uh, he, he's still getting himself over. Uh, but I got a lot of respect for Honky uh, and Jimmy Hart. And, of course, Mean Gene Okerlund, that's vintage. That's what you remember about 80s wrestling and 70s. Going back to AWA when you really research it, not that I was alive for all of his career, obviously. But we see coming up, it's that big Intercontinental Championship match. And uh, take us through it. I mean, he, he wants to be surprised. Actually, I got ahead of myself. That was part of the other segment. Uh, I, I got a little excited. What can I say? It was all honky burning love or something. Who who knows? Where's Greg Valentine? No, it was the Bolsheviks ver with Slick versus the Powers of Pain with the Baron. And I don't know who the Baron was with all due respect, but what's your thoughts on this match? I mean, this was actually not too bad. Uh, I came away with, but Danny, t you know, break it down for us. Yep. So this was um, something I say on uh, Nitro Nights a lot is a Hoss match because it was t four big guys having uh just a brawl um it was very physical and i was actually shocked by the finish um that we actually got a diving headbutt and then a one two three i don't think i've ever seen that to be honest because the diving headbutt to me is always full of like a transitional move um popularized by um, harley race and chris benoit but they never won any matches with it that that i've seen but um, it was a very good match. I thought it was a uh, very solid contest as well. And you're right, Barbarian was impressive. What was he, close to 300 coming off the top rope like that? And you mentioned Harley Race and, and Chris Benoit delivering it. Uh, great points, my friend. That's why he, he's a co-host. He's my tag team partner. And that's why we love some tag team matches. I got excited too. Speaking of NWA guys, if you think about Warlord and Barbarian and, and Slick was second generation guy, but I thought it was a good match. You know, Boris Zukov was uh, Jim Nelson, if you go back. I, I love learning the history with Jim Crockett Promotions. And, of course, Nikolai Volkov was with Mid-South. But who does not want the uh, Soviet Union or Russian national anthem sung to him? I mean, I, that's what I live for. Yeah, especially in Madison Square Garden. Where else? Absolutely. The Big Apple. Why not? But I agree with you. Good match. And we get... Brother Love, I love you. Yeah, I, I love it, man. Uh, what did you think of Brother Love? Was he something else or what? I, um, I'm a massive uh, Bruce Pritchard fan. Um, I like I like his writing. Uh, I know it's not popular to um, to say nowadays, but um, I'm always I've always got time for Brother Love, and I liked his. Um, I like, really like this segment of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, what did you think of it, Tyler? I, th I thought it was very comical in a good way. I, I'm with you. I love Brother Love. I've just Actually, this is a true story. I just got out of church. So, I mean, he, he's kind of like some preachers, evangelists, and I, I'm not knocking that because I'm somebody 
that, you know, just came from a Sunday service, but he was using the TV evangelists. I mean, th this is true. He was using that, but instead of the message of the gospel, he was spreading love, if you will. Miss a hat saw Jim Duggan. And for some reason, I went into Dusty Rhodes. It's like it, what happened there. But, you know, I, I loved it. I thought hat saw was great. You know, this was just a classic segment. And we'll move on here. Here we go. This is what I was trying to get at before on my notes was the WWF Intercontinental title match. It was the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart. Uh, with the megaphone and all versus you want to tell them uh, the surprise opponent here, Danny? The only surprise you can have at this point is the ultimate warrior because he came out, hit five moves and then the match was kind of over, wasn't it? It was like, wow, um, this is a very important moment. I've seen this replayed on many packages, many DVDs and things like that. This, um, yeah, I think this to me, this was the most important match of the night. Um, what do you think about that, Tyler? I thought it was good for the surprise element, and all I wanted to say was, speak to me, Warriors. That, that's horrible. It's like Vince McMahon trying to do Ultimate Warrior or something. That was an epic fail. But I, I love the promos. I, I loved Warrior. Now, I don't know how he was personally. We, we've heard a lot of different not too uh, polite opinions on that. But I will say, you're right. There wasn't much to it. I think, what was it, a record 31 seconds or something close to that. But it did what it needed to uh, be able to accomplish because Honky Tonk Man even admitted he wanted to be surprised, and boy, was he. And this is definitely part of that push, I believe, to where Warrior extended to where we got the Hogan-Warrior match at WrestleMania six. I think we were starting to see that push. So, Danny, uh, were you a fan of Ultimate Warrior? In a word, no. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I grew up... Um, uh, just just as the internet was uh, kicking off in uh, the wrestling communities and things, and you'd always see negative stuff about Ultimate Warrior. And I think what he said about Bobby Heenan wishing him death and things like that in the, uh, in the mid-2000s just kind of turned me off of him. Um, but as a character, I mean, he, he was obviously a draw because millions of fans loved him. Um, how about you? Did you like the Ultimate Warrior? As a kid... I got into it because I, I was a Hulkamaniac, I'll admit. So, yeah, the, the colors, just like Sting, it, it kind of resonated. Uh, there were some parallels there, even though Warrior was running out. I don't care how much energy drinks or coffee I've, I've had. I can't do what Warrior was doing. I mean, the guy not only was jacked, but the energy he had, like, shaking the ropes. I mean, I wish I had some ropes here. I would shake them, and they still would not do it justice. I mean, the guy was just – he made you just want to go work out and, you know – God knows I need some, but it, it was just, that, that was what's good. I mean, he just, I loved it. So I'm with you. Hey, I respect the answer because I, I have heard Heenan was not a fan. He, he definitely rubbed in a lot of people the wrong way, said controversial things, but with respect, uh, glad to see him, uh, excuse me, get into the hall of fame. And then, Hey, we got Bobby Heenan. Speaking of the weasel, he gets into the broadcast booth causing trouble saying he's got information on the mega powers or something to the effect with uh, superstar Billy Graham and then Gorilla Monsoon. What did you think of Heenan sticking his nose in, business, in the business of the commentators? I thought it was fabulous. What were your impressions? Was he a commentator before this? He was. I, I believe he was. I thought this was his debut, so I wrote down for a first impression. Um, but no, this was actually really good, and it was an upgrade um, because even though we praised um, superstar Billy Graham, nobody touches Bobby Heenan on the commentary desk, uh, in my opinion. Um, he was so good, and I think this was this was the right match to put him in because um, it, 
it, this wasn't like an excited match to me. So it was nice to see Bobby Heenan go in there and um, play up his character. I think anytime you can get Heenan involved in anything, it's it's going to be a great thing. I, I'm with you. And then, hey, next we get The Rock, Don Morocco. No, not Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. We get The Rock, Don Morocco versus Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin. Uh, Danny, what was your analysis of this match? <sighs> um <laughs> That's what I said about Bobby Hinnan earlier. This, to me, this was kind of like a plain match. Um, we just—it was like—it was just kind of there to me. I mean, at this point, I started to think, okay, maybe we have a bit too much matches on this card. Um, but and the good thing, the best thing about this match to me, other than Bobby Hinnan's commentary, was the actual clean finish. Uh, that we got, we got um, Dino Brava hitting a side slam and then getting a one-two-three. I actually was a fan of that because if you listen to me on Nitro Nights, I hate screwy finishes, and I prefer, especially on pay-per-views. Um, I really like clean finishes here. Well, tell us how you really feel. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and anyways, yeah, Dino Bravo, of course, was tragic. What happened to him? He we lost him on, I believe it was March 10th, 1993 in Quebec up in Canada, where he was from. Uh, and anybody can read and kind of learn about that. Uh, I thought it was some nice back and forth. It was kind of a filler match with all due respect. And then Frenchie Martin was a heralded manager, but he was to me, not on the level of a Heenan, but nobody can be to be fair. I mean, that's to respect the Bobby Heenan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, uh, that in a nutshell, uh, Sean Mooney with Jesse Ventura. This was a very interesting segment where it was about President Jack Tunney uh, appointed Ventura as the special guest referee. The million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, had paid the body off. At least they were teasing. It seemed that way. So what were your thoughts about this whole uh, kind of conspiracy or angle to kind of explain that Ventura, since he normally is a heel, would side with the heels or at least tease that? I love this because it kept you... Um, interested for the main event to say, oh, what's going to happen now? Now we've got a thread of story throughout the night. Um, this began earlier, didn't it? So it was like, yes, okay, what's what's Jesse Dwadi going to do? So I really like that part of it. Well, I enjoyed your uh, analysis. Don't worry, I can't remember what yesterday was, so don't feel bad about that. Uh, what I was going to say, though, we're going to move on to the uh, WWF Tag Team Championship match. Now, this one I'm looking forward to uh, talking about and hearing your uh, wonderful thoughts on it was between the champions demolition with Mr. Fuji and Jimmy Hart. Very interesting combination there versus the Hart Foundation. Brett, the Hitman Hart, and Jim, the Anvil Nine Hart. Uh, take it away, Danny. Well, the first thing I wrote down was why didn't the Hart Foundation get an entrance? <laughs> I found that quite weird, but um, I'm glad Demolition did because Demolition's theme song is just amazing, isn't it? It's just it yeah, just they blows made me want mind. to bang my head against a wall or something like I'm at a metal concert. N not literally, but I, I was trying to be comedic. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> no, um, after this, I'm actually going to go and listen to that theme uh, because it's such a good one. Um, this, to me, even though Bret Hart's never been looked at as a big man, this was another Hoss match to me because um, this was like a. It, we started off with like a lot of brawling and it was like an uh, interesting choice. As you said earlier, like um, demolition having two managers was a bit odd. What did you think about that? 
it was odd uh, to see Fuji with him. I could kind of get Jimmy Hart turning on the Hart Foundation, which he he did, obviously. Uh, but you're right. It was a little bit bizarre, the visual. But, however, like you said, the match was very good. I, I forgot how good Axe and Smash worked with anybody, including uh, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and Bret the Hitman Hart and Jim the Anvil Nineheart. Can't forget how valuable he was uh, to tag team wrestling. So I liked how... You know, really what was interesting is they flipped the script. I believe Demolition wrestled more technically, and it was the Hart Foundation that wrestled more like the Demolition match, I felt. And maybe I'm wrong. You can correct me. But at the end, it was, uh, of course, Axe using Jimmy Hart's megaphone, and Smash covered Bret Hart, and Demolition would retain the title. So it was an interesting finish. I like that kind of finish because it made sense. You know, why not use the foreign object, the ref? We talked about it, alluded to it earlier, how – do something wrong behind their back. That that was uh, always part of classic wrestling back then. Even now, you could uh, draw the parallels with modern wrestling. So I'm with you. I thought it was a very nicely well-executed match. Nicely what, was, this, was this Hill versus Hill? You know what? That's a good question. That may be why. You brought up a fantastic point. See, I, I'm glad you uh, mentioned that because it could have been. Yeah, I, I felt like it was. Notes. Oh, man, I'm going to have to. Uh, I told you I can't remember uh, the next day or the last day or last week. Who knows? But, hey, thank you. That's why I've got a co-host, my tag team partner. I made the tag, and he hit me with a megaphone. He turned on me. No, I'm just kidding. Never. Uh, no, I know that. I'm just giving you a hard time, my friend. But next, we get the honky-tonk man complaining that he was robbed backstage. How dare the ultimate warrior come in and steal his thunder, e even though he wanted to be surprised with Mean Gene Oakland and Jimmy Hart. What'd you think of that? Honky getting livid. I thought this was excellent uh, that we didn't have to wait till the next set of TV tapings to get Honky Tonk's man reactions. It was pretty good. Um, I love that we got, well, late, later on we'll get Ultimate Warriors thoughts as well, but um, this was a really good promo by Honky Tonk man. And I think he's best when he's angry, as you see, as you alluded to the shoot interviews earlier, when you get him angry, he, he brings out the best in him. Yeah, I thought it was like Elvis on steroids. It was great. I mean, he was just mad. He was like, I can't believe they robbed me. I can't believe it. You know, and I'm, I'm trying to do a bad impersonation there. And then Jimmy Hart and Mean Gene. I mean, that's a great trio right there in the back. It was a very entertaining segment. And I'm with you. An angry honky-tonk man is good for business. But we're going to go to uh, the next match, the big boss man with Slick. The Slickster again versus Coco Beware. What were your... Uh, Thoughts pertaining to this particular matchup? This to me was like um, another filler match. Um, there, at least there was a lot of storytelling in this match. I'll give it that. Um, with Bossman just playing up being a heel and things like that. Um, Coco Beware has always been an underrated babyface to me. Um, in terms of this match, it was just a, I think it was just a smidge of, over five minutes. Um, this to me, this could have just been left off the card. Um, what were your thoughts, Tyler? I agree. I think it was more of a filler match, but I'm glad we got it because you get to see how big boss man for a big guy could use the top rope maneuvers. He could, he was very quick. Coco Beware was still good, but he was kind of slowing down, I believe, and probably unfair to say that he was still over. He was definitely a big star. I don't mean that, but as far as his in ring quality. 
And this was a way to get Big Boss Man over, I believe, because he had Slick. He was still early on, I believe, in his WWF run because he just came over from the NWA. Remember, he was Big Bubba Rogers with Cornette, Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. That's how he got introduced. Dusty saw something in him. And that's what's interesting, the parallels even between different wrestling promotions. So I, I thought, you know, for what it was, it was good. But I'm with you. I think they just used it so we could have a match on the card because there was still a purpose. There was still a storyline that needed to be added. So that, That's I'm a great you. point. Um, you make is like a lot of wrestlers from different territories um, had not long of just come over. You've got the Hearts from um, Stu Hearts territory. You've got JYD from Louisiana, and you've got just so many other. You've got Hulk Hogan from the AWA, <laughs> um, and right. Big Boss Man from other from uh, JCP. So there's so many stars, even Jimmy Hart and things like that, that have all made their name elsewhere. Yeah, we forget they were established elsewhere, but since Vince took everything national and eventually international, they had that platform. I mean, they were really getting to be known to even newer audiences, so I'm with you. And also, let's not forget about those uh, international stars over in the UK. We just had the British Bulldogs showing love to my my friends over here in Britain. I mean, come on. I, I want to show my respect. It's not just all about us Southern people. I'm just kidding. Not that all the, the stars were Southern. That's me trying to be partial. Don't worry. No civil wars here. Thank God. Let's no, not at all. Anyways, uh, no, that's me trying to be funny. Uh, but next we get Sean Mooney. Speaking of ultimate warrior, I want to get uh, what you uh, thought about this uh, particular backstage segment with ultimate warrior. I thought I needed to be high or something looking back on it now because he he was he was uh saying a bunch of nonsense but as a kid you loved it you thought it was like a cartoon character it's his own language or something danny i mean what were your thoughts there's a reason this wasn't added to any of those um previous video packages or dvds i mentioned earlier (laughs) because um this really wasn't needed like i would have preferred him to come out on the next tv and um just like because I understand that like you have you have like him celebrate warrior celebrating, but like like you said, it just made no sense. And I think if he had time to calm down, at least maybe he would have made more sense elsewhere. Yeah, Warrior was always interesting. I mean, you just never knew uh, what you were going to get with him. And I think a lot of the wrestlers talked about it. I'm kind of saying it gleefully, but in a respectful way. don't want to come off the meaning. But that was just, he lived the gimmick. That guy really believed he was Ultimate Warrior, Jim Hellwick. So that's what made you buy into. You may think this guy's a little bit out there, but he's envisioning himself as this guy, as the Warrior. So you talk about somebody living the gimmick. That was Hellwig with Warrior. So I'm with you. You never knew what she was going to get. How great was Sean Mooney? I forgot. And he still looks like he had age. What is he, Dick Clark? I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it, it truly is. Sean Mooney. He's him. brilliant. Um, he had a, a podcast um, about four years ago or three years ago, and he was very entertaining. And I think he uh, got a job with the NWA um, a couple of years ago as well. And you're right. He just does not age. He actually looks like he's aged, I'd say at least like a couple of months, not, not 30, maybe 35 years at this point. It, yeah. It just, it's amazing how well he's, um, I think he's still working in television on the news somewhere. I believe so. No, you are so correct. And it's, it's very fascinating. I could see him interviewing a wrestler. Now we could, we could take a, yeah. you know, a time machine and, you know, it, 
unfortunately, sadly, it wouldn't be Warrior, but maybe get one of these other personalities new and upcoming. It, it'd be fantastic. But hey, we, we got to move on. We're not done yet. We get Hercules or Hercules versus Jake the Snake Roberts. Let me say it again. What'd you, uh, what was this match? I mean, how did you relate to it? I thought, um, I thought uh, Ray Crude was going to come down the entire uh, of the, every part of this match was me thinking Ray Crude's coming down, Ray Crude's coming down. So I was kind of disappointed, um, but I was actually happy with more with the how it went. And this went just nearly 11 minutes. And I was actually, I was like, wow, Jake Roberts, because I, I really didn't think he was in a match because I watched this cold without um, skipping anything and like, um, knowing any matches or anything like that. So I was actually shocked to see Jake Roberts here. But um, him getting a clean win was actually really good as well. Yeah, I loved uh, the DDT, one of my favorite finishers. And, of course, we didn't see Damien this time. Normally we see the snake on on the opponents. But Hercules was a, a bad to the bone, man, all muscle, jacked up, was a territory guy. Worked for Bill Watts, I think, was down in Florida. I had to research this stuff too, but when he got to McMahon, I mean, of course, got elevated. He was done for shorter matches, but I believe this was one of the longer matches he was involved with, was uh, going at 10 minutes or over. So I thought he relied on the power. He actually used some submission techniques here, and, and Jake the Snake Roberts would also try to take him down to the mat. So overall, pretty good match, though. I'm with you. And I, yeah. I'm a big mark for Jake the Snake Roberts and have came to appreciate Hercules Hernandez. So that yeah. was... Uh, a very uh, good match, but Hey, we're going to get uh, some video footage of the uh, million dollar man. And, you know, Andre threatening uh, Jesse Ventura with mean Gene Okerlund and then beating up macho man, Randy Savage with Virgil holding back Miss Elizabeth, but to set up this match or a main event to kind of remind us here. I mean, what did you come away with? I mean, seeing that visual Virgil, you know, holding back Elizabeth and, and I don't know that Hogan ever came out. That's what I found interesting during that segment. We say on um, Nitro Nights every week is like Hulk Hogan is a baby face, but he's such a heel. And him not coming to the rescue here is just, I expected it. Um, and it's just like, oh, really, Hulk Hogan? You're supposed to be the number one baby face. <laughs> but overall, this video package was brilliant and it made me actually want to go back and watch some of this stuff because i've seen nothing of um this early wbf so um knowing that they had this angle on there i actually want to go back and see maybe a couple months before SummerSlam, and then see what ha how the angles happened yeah me as well wwe always produces even when they were wwf then as, as we're talking the timeline with SummerSlam 88 always uh did well creating these video packages uh these to help relay the storylines so i thought this was nicely done maybe to hogan's defense they didn't want him out there so you could get more of the heat on savage i get that but i'm, I'm with you why not come out and help your tag team partner the mega powers man you're taking on the mega bucks uh i wonder if hogan said it don't work for me, brother. I, I don't know. Maybe he did. Very likely. I don't know. It's, Very it's likely. likely. But, <laughs> hey, we're getting to the main event. Here's what everybody's talking about. The whole storyline and everything that would build for other pay-per-views, the future WrestleMania, the next year's WrestleMania. So what'd you think about the mega bucks? That's a million dollar man. Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant with Bobby Heenan and Virgil versus the Mega Powers. We just talked about them. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan with the lovely and beautiful, classy First Lady of Wrestling, 
Miss Elizabeth. I mean, and Jesse Ventura as the special guest referee. How can we forget about the body? A lot of intricate parts. I mean, tell us uh, what you liked about this match. Everything. Um, this was the perfect main event for me um, because you had Andre the Giant, who was very limited at this point. Um, this was 1988. Um and you had Hulk Hogan, who's always kind of been limited anyway, but then you had the workhorses of Macho Man and Ted DiBiase. And this was a perfect match because you had the big names and you had the workers and things like that. You also had a lot of story with Miss Elizabeth, um, especially towards the later half of this match. And then you had the story with Jesse Ventura. Who is he going to turn on? Is he going to screw Hulk Hogan over? And things like that. So I loved everything about this match. How about you, mate? No, those were all valid points. I'm with you. The The whole storytelling process and the way it formulated here was brilliant. I'll borrow a word you used that was so appropriate here. Uh, with Miss Elizabeth, uh, this would set up a lot of big things. The match overall, I thought, was good for what it needed to be. You're right. They had to rely on the Ted DiBiase, the Macho Man, Randy Savage to be more of the workhorses. Hogan could come in there, do his power moves. The same with Andre. So there, there was a lot of similarities, yet differences. But I thought Jesse Ventura, I like that, how you didn't know. Is he going to side and, and really screw over the Mega Powers, or was he going to screw over the Mega Bucks? Maybe being the ultimate heel, you could uh, actually envision that as well. So I, I liked how Elizabeth you know, distracted Jesse Ventura because she pretty much broke down the match. I'll just go to that point and how it, it looked like you know it always played on DBIC trying to outsmart you know, the, the good guys being the villain. But Elizabeth taking off her skirt, showing her panties. I mean, this wasn't the Attitude Era, but we were seeing a little bit of the '80s cartoonish. Uh, oh my goodness! I mean, let's be let's face it. Let's be honest with respect to the great Ms. Elizabeth. She was a beautiful lady. Aforementioned, I just discussed it, Danny. We we did rather. Uh, what'd you think of that? I mean, even as a little kid, I think I've got a smile to my face. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> this, I'm liking this. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect to the macho man, oh, yeah, I can't hardly do it. Where's Bruce Pritchard speaking of that when you need him? But, what I mean, what were your impressions of, of seeing that? That was so ahead of its time. Actually, that was pretty neat to see, knowing that this was not the Attitude Area. That's a great point um, that you said that it's not the Attitude Area yet, but we're seeing this. I think they needed a finish that would shock people because – um, it was like we we still got a clean clean finish here, but it's kind of like distraction and things like that. Is this was revolutionary? Um, this uh, I believe it was on a DVD or something like that. Um, I saw years ago where they discussed this spot and um, they just said it's like there's kind of like because this is typical WWE um slanting they kind of made this thing made this thing about did she do this on her own or didn't she do this on her own but um yeah i thought it was a really good spot and very, very memorable and they've even made the action figure out of it where you can remove that skirt which is uh, a bit creepy but yeah I, I need to get that one uh that just shows you how weird i am uh oh are we gonna make it past the first episode i hope so uh, leave it to me. I'm supposed to be the, the host and, and all clean and fun and just got out of church and I'm already sinning. I need prayer. 
But Danny, that was a great opinion. I'm going to make myself chuckle. I, I hope I'm making you laugh. You're probably like, who is this guy we got here? But anyways, it, it was a fun show. I mean, what was any closing thoughts? I, I thought for what it was being the inaugural SummerSlam 88, I had to go back and watch this show for maybe not the first time, but maybe second or third, I'm guessing, recalling. I mean, what were more of the takeaways from this first SummerSlam? I think it, it, to be honest, it aged well. It didn't age like this was like from the 60s or something like that. This actually aged very well. There was a lot of colours in this, a lot of characters and a lot of good music that held, that still holds up very, very well. And a lot of good wrestling as well, I would say. A little bit too much for me because um, I, I believe there were, I think, somewhere over 10 matches or close to it. And but there was a lot of good interviews as well, and I loved the commentary throughout the entire night. Yeah, this was a good show for me. How, what did you think overall, Tyler? I thought it was a uh, a good show. Also, uh, it was a lot of matches, kind of a marathon. But I I think that's why you had a lot of shorter matches than some that would vary in their times. You would see that as a model for the WWF, especially during this era. But I want to say, Danny, but before we get off here, tell everybody about yourself. I, I know we talked about it a little bit to open up the program, but people need to know about the Scottish gigolo. Danny, I mean, <laughs> Scottish cool gigolo. Is, uh, is it? See, I told you I was never good. My English differs, so forgive me. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's called. <laughs> they have two different meanings. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's probably true. Uh, folks, you never know what you're going to get on this show. Okay, Danny, help me out here. I'm, I'm kind of on a, you know, I, ne- I need a rope here. Come on. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you can find me on um, Twitter at Scottish Juggalo, where I just tweet about wrestling um, throughout the day and things like that. But you can also hear me on Nitro Nights, where um, me and Nitro go through the entire WCW from 95 all the way to 2001. Um, you can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis, where we discuss rare wrestling uh, and forgotten wrestling uh, matches and characters and storylines and things that people don't talk about anymore. And you can hear me here. We'll, we'll be back in the next episode with the great Ty Peters. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, and we love learning about the, the great Danny and I'll get the uh, pronunciations correct. I didn't realize that that may be kind of a, a running joke, Danny. That yeah, I don't mind. I mean, he, he never <laughs> can get my name right. Either. No wonder all the women are calling me. They they think I'm that, you know, come on. Hey, you may be thinking me. Come on. No, I'm just you never know. I'm teasing. Hey, this ain't the attitude era. <laughs> this is SummerSlam 88. But Miss Elizabeth, this got me all confused, man. There's lust in the eyes, brother. You know, I, I don't know. Going back to WrestleMania 5. But I'm Tyler Peters. I, I just, you know, I ride for Re- Wrestle Buddy. Uh, along with Josh DeBoard, who's also got a program on the uh, SJP World Media Network. Uh, shout out to them and also all the just wonderful podcasts you just mentioned. And I uh, want to thank the great Sai Pal, who's uh, producing this thing. It's episode one of Back When. He is Danny. I am Tyler. And we're signing off saying goodbye for now. And who knows what we're going to talk about next. You'll just have to come back and watch, or I should say, listen. Uh, We may get into video, who knows, but right now it's just audio. But it's been back when the podcast episode one with Danny and Tyler. We're going to be soon become your favorite tag team. And that's all I got to say about that because Tyler Peters and Danny say so. And we're out.